I want to begin just by telling you, for those of you who are new at Vintage, we are in a series, a small group series uh, that we're doing called empowered you can see it right here behind us okay empowered and the idea is very simple we believe the the church who are the people church is not an institution it's not a building it's not a named thing honestly it's a people it's really important you didn't come to church this morning as in vintage as in being the church you came to a building where the church meets you are the church the people of God. It's not an institution. It is not a business. It's not something you can incorporate. It is a people in motion, obedient to God, doing the things of God, looking like Jesus and acting like Jesus. And I don't know if you've ever read anything in the Bible before about Jesus, but Jesus's life was marked by power. He was empowered. And I want you to know, I don't know what stream you come from or what tribe you come from in theology world, but our tribe believes that everything that Jesus did, he still is doing today because why would he have stopped? There's still people who need to be healed. There's still people who need to hear the voice of God. He is still speaking. And so with that said this morning, we believe then that when we are coming to be empowered by Jesus, that we look like, act like, and sound like Jesus. So when people read the book of Acts, they go, oh, I've seen that peculiar person in my office. Right? So we're empowered. To do the things that Jesus did. If you go somewhere and you're around a tribe that doesn't teach that, then I would encourage you to either challenge them or to leave. Because we believe in the whole Bible. And that Jesus is fully God. And that he's fully empowered his people to look and act like him and all the disciples that came after him. And to believe, if you've ever read church history, nothing died with the apostles. Nothing did. You just, you just do a little bit of church history. You learn that very quickly, very quickly. Augustine, the end of his life, an early church father, post-apostles, saw he was hearing God's voice and prophetically speaking. Go read his life. Augustine, he's a good Calvinist before he knew Calvin, right? He even existed, right? But he sat there and he, he, he was literally laying hands on the sick and they were being healed. He's like, where did this come from? I guess this still happens today, right? And so we believe in being a people of God who are empowered by God for the things of God, for the purpose of God, because the world's not going to hell in a handbasket. Jesus' desire is to save it. And so he empowers his people to do that. If you're one of those people who, is, who thinks the world's coming to an end, so you're going to go buy a bunch of guns and go this hole up somewhere and, and just wait for Armageddon to come, you're in sin. Because Jesus has called his people out to go to the masses and to save the world. So this week, I'm going to talk to you about on Wednesday. This is a story that God's been just kind of wrecking me with all week on Wednesday. I went to a conference called the Catalyst Conference. Have you ever heard of the Catalyst Conference? Yeah, it's a leadership conference. They've held every year, but I don't know, about 15 years, I think. John Maxwell started it years ago. Andy Stanley's a part of it. And my buddy Tyler Reagan now is over the entire conference, about 8,000 people, right? I was the best man at his wedding. I'm important at Catalyst because he's important. That's the only reason, right? I can go, I have my VIP badge 
and like, why do you have VIP badge? Because I know somebody important, right? Like, there's nothing important about me. I was a nobody with a, with a really cool badge. And so, so anyway, so Tyler's my friend, and I get in. And so on Wednesday, Wednesday is what they call labs, and Wednesdays is a bunch of teaching, right? And so the last keynote speaker of the day is a guy by the name of David Platt. Have you ever heard of David Platt? Okay, David Platt wrote a book called Radical. Basically, the whole book, if you've read it, the premise behind it is like, listen, the American dream is not God's dream for you. God's dream for you is a radical life. Pretty simple, okay? So David, he sold, I don't know, I, I, I read, I, I was doing some homework, like doing some work to figure it out, but as of 2011, it sold 500,000 copies of just that one book, right? If you were, probably you came to Secret Church that we did here a couple of years ago, maybe a different church, Secret Church on Good Friday, it was like from like 8 p.m. to like 1 p.m. in the morning, 1 a.m. in the morning. David Platt led that. He's a pastor of a church called Brook Hills in Birmingham. Uh, he is now the president of the IMB, the International mission board of the baptist church because his heart is for the nations in fact he came to this very very large like very 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 wealthy church in birmingham to preach when he was like 31 years old and they said we want you to stay and become our pastor And he said you don't want me trust me and they're like why said, because i'm going to come and preach i'm going to preach discipleship and I'm going to teach about unreached people groups, and we're going to give lots and lots and lots and lots of money away, and I'm going to talk about it every single week, week to do discipleship and to give money to those that are in need and to reach unreached people groups from Birmingham, Alabama. And they said, we still want you. David is affecting millions of people. David and I were very, very good friends at the University of Georgia. In fact, he called me one day when, we, when he was probably a, when he was a junior and I graduated. I was on staff at the Wesley Foundation at George. He said, hey, man, we, were, we knew each other. I was taking his, uh, his now wife on a mission trip to Venezuela, and we, so we had become good friends. And he said, hey, well, you, can you meet me for lunch? And so we went to the cookie company in, in downtown Athens across from the grill, and we did lunch. And as we sat there over lunch outside with all the people walking by this beautiful, uh, beautiful fall day, he said, hey, what if we keep on doing this? What if we continue to meet? And so he and I met together at once a week for two years, at least while school was in session. David and I were good friends. We'd get together and talk about, talk about life, talk about relationships, talk about church, talk about ministry, talk about Georgia football. I'm just telling you, right? We talked about all these types of things, and, and, and it was a great time. And in, the, in that time, it was a great challenging time for me because David truly is a man after God's own heart. I don't say that tongue-in-cheek. He really is. If you get to know the guy, he's as legit as every single one of his messages and, and his books that he writes. He just finished a new one, right? And so, so this thing was called Counterculture. You should buy it. I haven't read it. I'm sure it's good. David Platt wrote it, right? So David Platt is an important person. And so I told my buddy Tyler, who makes me important, right? Hey, I haven't seen David in 18 years. Can you make that happen? He said, of course I can. And so my the important person going to the important, you know, the important room over here where all the important people are. I'm like, I got a badge. You got a badge. I got a badge, right? I walk in. And David's sitting there doing an interview with somebody really important, I'm sure, right? And he gets done. He looks at me, and he goes, Steve Hambrick. And he runs. I say run over. He walked over with his arms like didn't run. He walked over with his arms open and gave me this big bear hug. We hugged back. It was a great man hug, right? And, and then he grabbed me by the shoulders and pulled me back like this. And he said, when Tyler told me you were going to be here, I had to see you. To thank you. 
And I looked at him because in my mind, like I was older than him, but I saw this as kind of like a peer level kind of ability type thing. He said, he looked and he says, he said, you took two years out of your life and you invested into an immature young kid and invested the best of yourself into me. And I just want to thank you for investing your life into me. Now, I'm not saying, now see what I did? That was because of me. I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm telling you that story for the simple reason. I sat back and went, oh, and my head began to spin. Because I had no, my, my intention of meeting with him was a good friend who loved Jesus. And I, we shared life together and had accountability together. In his mind, it was discipleship. Two years of intentional weekly investment coming together and sharing scripture and praying for one another and talking through life and talking through issues issues. And in his mind, I was investing my life into him. He saw it and received it that way. And he would say today he is who he is partially because of Jesus's work through me. And guys, I, I'm not going to lie. Like I tell you, my head was spinning. I was like. Like, I had to hold on to something. Randall's sitting behind me because she's heard me talk about David Platt before. My accountability partner, I kind of joke around because he's very important with interviews, and I have a badge from somebody else who is important. I'm nobody, right? It's like, and, 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 and she's heard the stories, and I'm sitting there going, and literally, we talk, we kind of like small talk all the way. And then he's like, we got to go. you got to speak in five minutes. And I'm like, I see it. And so he goes around, and sure enough, he walks up on stage, and there's David Platt with thousands of people, right? But I'm in worship. I'm in worship. <clears throat> and, and it wasn't like, honestly, it wasn't very good worship, to be honest with you. It wasn't like I was having an emotional, you know what I mean? It wasn't like that, oh, Jesus. It was like, okay, someone's singing a song and looking at me as they sing, which is kind of awkward. Hey, let's sing about Jesus. I just stare at you, right? Whatever, right? So it's kind of bizarre. So anyway, I just have a hard time with people who stare at me in worship, okay? It's like, hey, hey, put your hands up in the air, right? It's like, oh. So, but anyway, so he's having this moment. And, and and and, not, and there, so it's not that good worship, that good of worship. So I'm not having an emotional moment when worship was what I'm saying, okay? And so, and so I, I'm sitting there, and 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 I'm just like sitting there looking at the song, right? He's a good, good father. That's what they were playing, right? He's a good, good father. It was actually the band who who wrote it. It was terrible. And so, yes. And so, like, I love it so much better than we do it here. I'm just saying. So anyway, so they're singing good, good father. And I'm sitting there not looking at Pat. I think he went to Wesley at Georgia. I'm not looking at Pat and, or Nate Moore. Remember Nate Moore? Led what he was on stage, too. And so, and so he, you know, I'm sitting there looking at the words. Like, I'm not going to stare at this guy, right? And so I'm just looking at no, that. I'm sitting here looking at the words. Like, good, good father. Good, good father. Oh, my gosh. God, I'm sitting here. I'm, I'm literally, my head's spinning. David Platt, oh my gosh, he saw me and discipling him. And I heard the voice of the Lord. It's, I mean, we're talking like one of those, like look around moments to see if it was an audible voice. I heard God say to me, he says, will you be okay if I never put you on a stage like this one, but I use you to invest into those who will? I heard that. I mean, I'm, and, I, and, I, and I immediately got even like a deeper level of emotion God speaking says, will you, will you be okay if I never put you on a stage like this, but I use you to invest into those that I will put on the stage? And my first response, I want you to know, it was a holy one. And I went, yes, Jesus, <laughs> right? I, and I said to the Lord, I said, yes, God. I mean, I'm literally saying, for like, yes, God, I would be honored. I would be honored to be used in that way. 
But let me tell you what happened next. You know the other part of your brain that pops up? And, and, my, and, and, my, and my thought, and it was a, and my thought immediately afterwards was, well, why, why not me? I mean, I could do that. I mean, these guys who just travel, they just have three messages. They just kind of recycle them wherever they go. I mean, you give me three messages in one year, by the end of the year, I'm going to be better than all these guys, right? I'm going to be awesome. I'm going to have some great, like, visuals over here and some smoke that comes out, right? I mean, I can figure this out. I mean, I'm going to be awesome. Like, why not me? That was my thought over here, but I had to admit, I'm going to confess in a good way, the holy voice was much larger than this voice. And I was like, because it came up, and I went, I was like, what? I mean, I literally was like, Oh my gosh, that was so gross. That's what I thought to myself. That thought was so, oh, and I said, God, no, 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 no. Your will be done, not mine. Not my, I mean, I literally prayed, not my will, God. Your will be done. I mean, literally, is Timothy still in the room? I mean, my thought, honestly, Timothy, I was like, like, y'all know Timothy's awesome, right? Can I get an amen for those of you? Yes, Timothy's awesome, okay? I'm sitting there in the moment, and my expectation was God. Timothy will, he will, he will exceed me quickly. I mean, he's, he's far brighter than I am. He's ultimately a better speaker than I am. He's better looking than I am, right? It's like he's, he has this full package. He can influence people in an easier way than I can. God, you've naturally gifted him. And God, I want to be used so that in five years I can come to Catalyst and I have a VIP badge because Timothy got me one because he's exalted to be on the big stage proclaiming good news. And I'm like, God... I believe that's who Timothy is, and I want him to be that God. I want to be used in this way. God, if I never stand on a stage like this, I'm okay. But it was so interesting that moment because isn't that so like us as human beings to have that dynamic tension, that wrestling in our life? Well, why did that person get that raise? Well, why did that person get that, that job? And why did that person, why did they get that inheritance? I mean, Jesus, don't you love me? And why didn't I get the raise? And why, whatever it is, like, oh, I, I can whatever, right? We live our lives every day. That person, I mean, even as simple as, oh. They got the front row parking place, and I just missed it, Jesus. Do you not love me? Where are you? Am I not good enough for the front place? I mean, literally. We think about this all day long. The problem is, is we become so immune to the sickness of that in our lives that we just think it's who we are. And I'm sitting here in the moment, and I'm like, God... I want you, listen, and in the moment of making a difference in David Platt's life, I recognize I had nothing to offer David of any value whatsoever except the Jesus inside of me. And I want to get self so out of the way that Jesus can get so out of me and actually invest into those who he wants to raise up. So this is what we're talking about, about being empowered. The tension that we face as human beings, the tension of serving versus being served. I mean, we all love and dream about going to all-inclusive resorts, don't we? Because we want someone to serve us all day long, and we can order any drink we want to with an umbrella in it and say, thank you, Garcon, right? Whatever it may be, we want someone to serve us. There's this part of us, but there's this other holy part where we say we we want to be about the desires of God, not the desires of man. 
Because we struggle fighting for self rather than fighting for others. See, that was what, you remember last week, Scott took a chair and then had, I didn't, I wasn't here, but I heard he had some, like, some sort of funky little camping chair with two buckles, whatever it was, right? And the chair, for those of you who weren't here, represented, this is the chair, this is a chair that belongs to Jesus in your life. Only he can sit on it, only belongs to him to be Lord over your life. You have a little bitty chair down here, but it's a chair, right? But you're to sit at his feet in obedience, following him, right? It's a, it's a chair represented by humility and our personal responsibility to be obedient to Jesus. Jesus. Humility, humility is the call that God has for our lives. Now, this is a great thing. I put this blue on my paper, and the great thing is you can't read it. The blue is so dark. So let me see here. That's hilarious. Note to self, guys, never put a blue as kind of your highlight. Use like a neon yellow, so like, like I usually do. And I'm like, I need some glasses, right? Yeah, and so here's the thing I want to say this morning. The very simple statement in light of this story, in light of this whole kind of dialogue, is simply this. Our empowerment, our empowerment is dependent upon our humility. Our empowerment is dependent upon our humility. Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit, but his humility was the key to it being released in his life. We could say say simply, if Jesus had not embraced humility, if Jesus had not put Father as priority in his life, then God's power could have never been released through him. His empowerment was dependent on humility in his life. We see this kind of statement very simply yet profound in James chapter 4, verse 6, and in 1 Peter 5, verse 5, chapter 5, verse 5, it says this, God opposed, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I encourage you to go read those chapters sometime and be, and be humbled by them. God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Don't, listen, it's pretty simple. Don't miss the clear message. Pride is bad. And humility is good. Pride fights for selfish gain. Humility fights for others' gain. Pride keeps God from moving in us. Humility opens the door for God's grace to be released in and through us. We talk about, listen, grace is one of those great Bible words. People get it all confused. But it's just really, really simple. God's grace is his fruit and his gifts that he moves in through us because we don't have fruit and gifts in our own strength. You can't produce love, joy, peace, and patience in your own power. You definitely can't produce the, the, the working of miracles and the gift of healing in your own power. Try sometime. doesn't work. I'm going to pray now in the name of Stephen Paul Hambrick for healing. That sounds stupid. That's my middle name, by the way. Paul. It's a powerful name. Stephen Paul Hambrick. doesn't work. You can't pray in your own name. You can't pray in your own power. You can't be your own God and see something happen. But we try to do that in our lives. Humility is what opens the door for God's grace, his gifts, his power, his blessing, his movement in our lives. Humility opens the door. Andrew Murray wrote a great book on humility. I'd encourage you to read it. He, exactly. Called humility. It defines humility this way. In the life of Jesus, 
You can read it along with me. Humility was simply the surrender of himself to God to allow the Father to do in him what he pleased, no matter what men around might say to him. Let's look at it again and read it. Focus in. Andrew Murray is a lot smarter than me. says, humility is simply the surrender of himself to God to allow the Father to do in him what he pleased, no matter what men around him might say. Humility, God, I fully surrender my rights. I fully surrender my wealth. I fully surrender my energies. I fully surrender all of the best of myself for your purposes. God, I sit in the camping chair with two buckles in it. You're in the big chair, right? You're in the big chair, and I'm going to sit here and be obedient and follow you no matter what I feel, no matter what happens around me, no matter what people say to me or about me. God, I surrender myself to you. Isn't this the question? That God was asking me when I was sitting there in worship with the starer. The guy staring me down. Remember that guy, Pat? He's sitting there staring me down. I'm like, I'm not going to look at you. I'm looking at Jesus. He's a good, good father. It's who he is. It's who you are. And he looks at me and he says, will you be okay if I never exalt you, but if I exalt others through your service? That's it. Are you okay humbling yourself every day of your life to make much of other people, to give the best of yourself to them, to the point that you then have to receive again because you've given everything away that I already gave you, rather than hoarding it for yourself like most Christians do? I just want more, Jesus. I know I have some food, but give me some more, right? You can't have it, right? Whatever it means, that's how we do, right? I want it for myself. That's why I only pray for me. That's why I want blessing. I want God to heal me. I want to focus on me. There are seasons of focusing on me. If I'm literally dying, laying on a table, and saying, don't need to pray for me, then great. But beyond that, there comes a point when I can't live like that, can I? Listen, could you imagine if people walked around with medical gowns all day long because they were in need? That would be awkward. They don't tie very well in the back. Like, I want you to have that mental picture. People need to be healed. We need to, we need to be empowered to bring that healing. We do that by surrendering ourselves to God and saying, God, whatever you want to do. I mean, literally in the moment, right? Exalt others, not me. Make others popular. And well-known, not me, to make others wealthy, but not me, to promote others, but not me. God, I'm fine with that. Are you? Are we? How does pride present itself in our life? Well, in lots of ways. I'm just going to give you like, uh, I've got six written down here. There's hundreds of them. Number one, pride presents itself in our lives through fear. The fear of failure, the fear of provision, and the fear of man. Because what we're saying in that is we don't think that God will care for us and fight for us. So we feel compelled to fight for ourselves. But we know we're weak and we really can't. But we still live in fear. Fear of failure. Fear of provision. provision, The fear of man. That God won't fight. That God won't defend. That's a sign of pride. Not trusting. Second is the... Is worry, worry about my children, that worry about my future. Why? Because we don't believe God's in control. 
We don't believe God's in control. It's a level of pride, a lack of humility of recognizing that God is in his Lord, sovereign, and he reigns over all things. Presents itself in judgment or fault finding. When you meet someone who is, who is more, who's wealthier than you, dresses better than you, has a nicer car than you, and a better job than you, and their kids act better, and they have a prettier lawn than you, do you find their faults to tear them down to build yourself up so you can think of them as being less than you? 99% of human beings do that. Jesus told me so. I'm just kidding. I have no idea what the percentage is, but we all do that. In some form or fashion, in your job, how often do you spend time trying to see what's wrong with your coworkers so they won't get the new job? In, in, literally, in your life, whatever it may be, your sister, your, your, your brother, whatever it may be, you try to find their faults to make yourself feel better. Pride, fault finding. The fourth is defensiveness. Someone says something, you feel like you have to fight back. Like this week, like have you felt like you had to defend yourself against something stupid that somebody said that was completely erroneous and false? Didn't you love the word erroneous right there? Fault, false, erroneous. I mean, it's like one of those deals. It's like we feel compelled to defend ourselves at all times. And Jesus stood humbly before those who were about to kill him and never defended himself. He'd let God do that, vindicate him and fight for him. Fifth, do you go attention seeking? Hey, look at me, look, look at me, look at me. Number six, neglecting the needs of others because all you can really do is see your own. Pride. Pride acts as a dam in our life. See, all, everything in my life always revolves around water. I love water. I fish in water. I go camping around water. I drive over rivers, and I'm like this, and people honking the horn because I'm going into their lane. I just love bodies of water. I love, like, you get a mile away from the ocean, you can smell it. Like, I can smell water, right? It's like I could just live all day around it. So everything revolves around water. And so, so for me, when I think about pride and humility, I see pride. I see pride as a dam. Anybody ever been to the base of Buford Dam, gone trout fishing over there? Anybody ever been to the base? You should go sometime because it's really big and really cool right and so you've got the on that side of the dam about 150 to 200 feet deep a massive wall of water and over here's a wee little stream that comes that's about 20 feet across right from maybe from me to the wall back there right that comes to it's rushing really fast because it's coming through but it's like that water compared to this little bitty water right here and so i've always said i've seen pride like a dam it's like the river of god is flowing in power but pride is like a dam that we put down that river just starts to just to kind of get up here right starts to build and build and build and build as all of a sudden the water down here turns into a trickle and there's nothing happening in the church because ineffective begins to die like it is doing today in every single denomination across the world right it's like dying is just trickling right but humi- so that's what pride is in our life like a dam that we place in our life not surrendered judging people all day long living in fear living in worry living in judgment living defensive living saying what about me what about me what about me neglecting the need of others as a primary pursuit of the highest energy of our life hear that the primary pursuit of the best energies of my life given to others right and so this picture of humility is damn the pride is like a dam but all of a sudden we embrace and go after this primary virtue of jesus 
humility and is like it is the key to the floodgate being opened in the dam. And all of a sudden, it's like the river of God, the grace of God, the power of God, the gifts of God, the fruit of God begin to flow in power to a world that's literally been dying and in need of drink. He says, right, his I am the living water. Come to me, all who are thirsty in Isaiah, and drink. And those who are hungry, come, because I had the richest affair. Come and eat. This is the nature of it. Pride is a dam. Get the picture. Humility and the choice of humility, right? The surrendering to God for the purposes of God, for the people of God. Surrendering myself in humility and serving them. And all of a sudden, it's like the floodgates. I'm like, God, I surrender. You are Lord. I will obey you. I will sit here and obey you in humility. I'll be responsible, God, with the call you have in my life. And I'm going to look proactively to serve and to give my life away. And when that happens, the floodgate opens and God's grace begins to flow. I want to look at some scripture. I'm not going to to look at one, but read several this morning. And you can read along with me. I would encourage you to write them down. I'm going to read them later on your own. So I'm going to go quickly through them. None of these are unfamiliar. These should all be somewhat familiar to you. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Paul speaking. He says, hey, guys, have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, right, he was God, he did not regard, at least, at least in an earthly sense, he did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bond servant and being made in human likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. If you don't have not memorized Philippians chapter two, verses five through eight, you need to memorize them. I'm, I know, like I've memorized like four verses in my life, and I can like paraphrase lots of them. I've memorized like three. This is some of the verses that I've memorized because it's this Paul saying, guys, when I look at Jesus. Here's what I see. When I saw Jesus living his life, this is what I saw. When I experienced him on the road to Damascus, this is what I experienced. When I go to pray, this is the part of him I understand, that he is defined by his humility. That Jesus says in Matthew 11:29, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. He says, For I am gentle and lowly in heart. The good King, the good King James says, he was meek. His power was restrained for redemptive purposes. He walked in humility. Read his words again. For I am gentle and lowly or humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. He describes himself that way. Matthew 23, 11 through 12. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus goes on in Matthew 20, 26, second half of verse 26 through 28. It says, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to, and to give his life as a ransom for many. I want you to focus on these last few verses here in Matthew 20. And I want you to just to end our time here for Jesus. I want you to see this greatness 
a life of power, greatness, and firstness. So I made that word up, right? But greatness and firstness, being great and being first in the kingdom, in the eyes of God, is defined by servanthood and slavery. It's defined by servanthood and it's defined by slavery. The, sl- the word slavery here represents a bond slave or a bond servant. When Paul says, here I am, Paul, a bond servant of Jesus in, the, in, the, in his epistles, right? He comes and says, greatness and firstness is defined by servanthood and slavery, specifically bond slaves. Bond slaves are those who were walking around in complete and utter freedom. They saw that someone had a need, so they gave themselves to that person to become their servant and to become their slave because of their need. God looks at me and says, will you be okay, Steve, if I never put you on a stage like this one, like this person, but use you to invest into those who will? Are you willing, Steve, to become a slave and a servant to those that I want to exalt, knowing that you may never be exalted, no one may ever know your name, knowing that no one may ever look to you and say, oh, VIP by nature, here's your card, you can get in too, right? No, but, but, but Steve, I want to use you as a slave and a servant to those that I want to exalt and raise up. Are you okay with that? Are you? Would you be okay? Like, it's really easy to put it in the language of David Platt, my good friend. Right? I mean, seriously, it's really easy. David Platt reached millions of people. What if I talk about you doing with your neighbor and mowing their yard? That type of stuff, right? That mean neighbor who you hate. Ask Nick Gosha sometime to tell you his story. Go sit with Nick Gosha sometime and hear his story about people around him who just were not nice. And just watch this moment of humility and servanthood rise up inside of him. And when that happens, you know what happens? People's lives are changed. Their walls come down because the floodgate of God's grace has been like flowing out of you. Like, God! Like, Right? You remember, what's that, what was that movie? What's the movie um, with Wolverine in it? X-Men. Remember that one where the guy has, like, the fire in his chest, and they're, they're trying to, like, like, and he finally gets that of his eyes? Could you imagine, like, right? That'd be really cool. Like, God's grace, you know? It's really cool. You could do that to serve people with that. Firstness and greatness is defined by servanthood and slavery, becoming a bond slave where I spend my life allowing this out of me for others who are in need. Because I've given my life to know Jesus, surrender to him, and allow the best of Jesus to flow from me and not hoard it for myself. You know, God reaches the point, and hear this, you can chew on this one. I have an opinion. Let me say it that way. I have an opinion that we keep on asking God to bless us and he just stops because he says, I've already blessed you and you haven't given anything away. Honestly. I mean, Smith Wigglesworth said that one time. I've, no, I've told you a story. I'll say it again. He said, he said, these two guys came forward. He laid his hands on them. They all fell out and the spirit came up just full and alive with the fire of the Holy Spirit in Jesus. They go off. They come back the next night to the service. They come forward again to get prayer. And he looks and says, oh, I will not pray for you until you can tell me how you gave away what was given to you last night. And they said, uh, we'll be back. <laughs> All right. 
I want to listen in this. Andrew Murray again says this until we seek humility in Christ. I need to take a picture of this one, folks. Until we seek humility in Christ above our chief joy and welcome it at any price, there is very little hope of a religion that will conquer the world. Do you want to be empowered? See that up there for a bit, Daniel. Do you want to be empowered? Do you want to see the Spirit of God move in you? Then we humble ourselves. And the church will not be a conquering, empowered church until we say, God, I surrender. I mean, say, hey, if you want to sing the song, I surrender all. I'll stop there. I surrender all, right? I surrender all in humility. God, not my will, but your will be done. Sacrificing every day, looking. Listen, in humility, God saying, God, empower me today to humble myself before you and to serve sacrificially. Listen, and I don't mean just your kids. Stay at home, moms. It's great you stay at home. You can't just talk about your kids. Your kids need to see you humble yourself before other people because you need to model for them what it means to serve others and give your life away for those that are in need. If you just serve your kids, then they'll become brats. Don't make kids your idols. Don't make them the sole focus of every single bit of your day. Invite your kids into obedience to Jesus and give your life away in service to others. Should they clap for that one, Sheila? Yes. Jesus is the hope for the world. Our empowerment is the hope of Jesus. What I mean by that is hope is an assured confidence. But our empowerment is his hope for the nations. It's his one plan. We've talked about that already. Jesus is the hope for the world. Our empowerment is the hope of Jesus. Of people walking in obedience, preferring God in all things, serving others above our desire to serve self. In Second Chronicles, God spoke to Solomon. He says, hey, listen, you've heard this verse. Hey, listen. When I come against you with plagues, when I come against you with this, when I come against you against, with these things because of your sin, because of your pride, because of your selfishness, because of your fear, because of your worry, because of your judgment. When, when I come against you, when I come, and, when I come and rebuke you in those things, he says, Second Chronicles 7, 14, 15, my people, he says, in those moments, he says, in those moments you pray, he says, and my people who are called by my name, humble themselves. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn for the wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open, my ears attentive to the prayer offered in this place. Do you see what he says? When all hell is breaking loose in the world around you, among your people group, and laws are being changed that scare you, and people in the church are such fear mongers, that they're literally telling you to run to the hills and hide away with all of your resources for yourself, right? When, when, the, when the world tells you to do that, I want you to hear me say, repent, turn from your sin, humble yourself, and I will move in power because that's what I want to do. God's saying, I want to release the floodgate of heaven Pride keeps the dam up. Humility opens the floodgate for God's grace. And then salvation begins to occur. 
If we will humble ourselves, then the people that we meet, whom we serve as bond slaves to them, and hear this, we're bond slaves to Jesus, and we become bond slaves and servants willfully to every single person that we meet every day. That's just simply what it means to be a Christian. You can't do you can't not do that and call yourself an obedient Christian. God opposes the proud. It's a real easy one to remember. And he gives grace to the humble servant bond slave. And he says, and then, my friends, you will be exalted. In the eyes of the world, and I get a stage like this, and I get to sing for thousands and speak to thousands? No, you'll be exalted in my kingdom. And I will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Who do you live for? Who do you live for? That voice or the voice of everyone around you telling you that you're great and that you're wealthy and that you're powerful and that you're important? We want to be empowered. You want to see the Holy Spirit move in you? Then make as a primary pursuit of your life humility. Francis Frangipan gives this nice equation. He said, repentance leads to humility. Humility leads to holiness, and holiness leads to power. Repentance leads to humility. Humility leads to holiness, Christ-likeness. And holiness and Christ-likeness leads to power. You can't go in reverse, my friends. Let's pray.